from uh, spiritual and emotional abuse and addiction to food and work and control. And um, I've had issues with pornography, with alcohol, with uh, rage, with panic attacks, and with bouts of depression. Well, that's in my past, but it's part of my story, so I include it in my intro. Uh, <clears throat> I want to talk about the myth of control tonight. We are podcasting this, by the way. I want to talk about the myth of control. Um, I was, uh, we were here at Melrose today, and I was driving back up the hill. Uh, Robbie was thinking about what she was going to fix for dinner, and I was thinking about what I was going to say tonight. And it just came to me as I was driving the icy roads about control. <laughs> Why would that issue come up? I have no idea. But anyway, I was thinking about control. And um, I got to thinking about the myth of control. Um, I don't know why this came to me. Literally, we just passed uh, Ben and Amy's Road, just past it. Going, we, we travel right past their uh, street every, every uh, time going home, or I do. And, and I was going around those curves, getting out in the country on Glen Lily. And I, I got to thinking about my first wife, Carol. And when we lived at, um, on Azalea in Lexington, it was just one street over, one block over from Broadway that goes right down to Rupp Arena, go Cats. Um, anyway, I'm a cat fan, sorry. He's sitting here with a Louisville hat. I, I'm just, it keeps distracting me. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> there you go, there you go. So anyway, so we lived there, and I remember we were just married, we had no children, and I was young in the ministry. I was just uh, out of seminary. And, and we uh, heard her father was a CPA, so he's always giving us financial advice, tax advice, insurance advice, that kind of thing. So he said, y'all probably ought to look into getting life insurance. So we didn't know anything different, so we called, uh, I guess, the first the Yellow Pages. Remember that? We looked through the Yellow Pages. We didn't Google it. We looked through the Yellow Pages and found uh, uh, an, an agent and a company that was reputable, and so we... Said we set up an appointment that came over to the house, and he set up a life insurance policy for me and one for her. And I'm 24, 25 maybe, and she's 26. She was one year older than me, 26, something like that. And I remember uh, going to bed that night and laying in bed and us discussing in all calmness and everything the how ludicrous and crazy it was to think about life insurance at that age. You know, people our age don't die, and, and we, we had all kinds of plans for the future. Uh, we had started a church there out of a Bible study, and it was going fairly well, and then we were getting ready to move. We didn't know it then, but we got ready to move to Middle Tennessee, and we were going to, you know, minister there and see some good things happen in a the church there. And we had plans, several kids, blah, 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 you know. Ooh, she was diagnosed with breast cancer at, in her late to mid-20s and uh, fought it for two years and, and died. And I cashed in that MetLife policy. Like, wow. I had no control over that. It, that completely, absolutely blindsided me. I look here with Zach, completely blindsided. What's going on? You know, blindsided. I look at the tornado that came through, completely blindsided. Lewis thought it was a train. He lives two blocks from the railroad track. He thought it was a train. And lo and behold, they took out his backyard. Literally took out his backyard. Um, I, I could tell several stories. I think you've heard the story about my dad. My dad was my pastor, and my, I uh, didn't have any brothers, so he, we were the only two males in the household, so we did a lot of stuff, male stuff together. And, 
And we just never jeed and hawed. We never got along. It was oil and water. It just, we didn't mix. And since he had the upper hand, he used it. And so he was physically and emotionally and verbally abusive, spiritually abusive to me for years, years, right up close to the end. He, I tried to apologize. He got multiple myeloma. That's a cancer of the bone marrow. He got multiple myeloma and, and battled that for seven, eight, nine years. I don't, longer than he should. Then he survived longer than he should have. But I remember when it got closer to the end, I thought, I've got to make things right with Dad. I've got to. And he was in the hospital in, uh, he was St. Joseph's Hospital in Lexington. And, and I, I remember calling him. And Mom said, he's out of the room right now. Uh, he'll call you when he gets back in the room. So he did. And I said, Dad, I've, I've, I just, we got to make things right. I'm sorry that, you know, this has not gone well. And I tried to apologize, and as soon as I hung up, I thought, I still have that thing in my heart. You know what I'm saying? I, it's, I said the words, but it's not there. And then, and then literally on his deathbed, uh, he, he called for us to come, and, and we went. I was married to Robbie, then we went to Wilmore, Kentucky, and, and he called me to his deathbed. And as far as I know, he didn't say this to any of my sisters, which I'm glad he didn't have to. I'm glad they had a good dad story. Um, he, he got me alone. He said, Wendell, he said, I'm so sorry that I was so hard on you your whole life. He said, that's what you get when you have a father with an inferiority complex. And I thought, oh, my gracious. When I look back on that now, I think he got heart cleansing from that. You know what I'm saying? It, but it didn't do much for me. I'm just being honest. It's like, okay, so we could have gotten this taken care of 10 or 15 years ago and had a really good relationship. But you wait and you blow the smoke in my face at the very, shame on me, shame on me. But that, I'm just telling you how I responded. And so that was in early 2000. I've been trying to figure out the year. Do you remember the year he died, Robbie? I can't, it's early, early 2000s. It may be 1999, I'm not sure. It's been a long time. So in 05, we stumbled into Celebrate Recovery here. And I got into recovery groups, 12-step groups. And I realized right away that I had a raging anger toward my dad. Raging anger toward my dad. And I would pray about it and it wouldn't go away. I would talk about it and it wouldn't go away. Back then I had a vibrant, ongoing relationship with my brother Wayne. And I would talk to Wayne about it and, and, and Wayne would hear me, but it didn't go away. I, at night, oh man, this is awful. I'm reliving some real stuff here. But I would dream about my dad and in those dreams, I was in his face raging, want, just wanting to punch his lights out. So angry at him for, why did you do this to me my whole life? And I'd wake up and I'd think, God, I don't, that's not, it was beyond my control. I, so at some point I realized, this is beyond my control. I've done everything I know to do. I've apologized to him. He's apologized to me. I've prayed about it. I've talked to my Brother Wayne, I've talked to groups about it. This is beyond my control. There's nothing I can do. And so literally one night in a, in a group right across the hall, when that used to be a, a, a meeting room, uh, somebody across, and I've told this story, and you all heard it, but somebody said, talked about their reconcilia reconciliation with their deceased parents. And as they were talking about that, I cannot explain. I cannot explain. But something happened in my heart, and it changed. In an instant, it changed. And I all of a sudden had no more anger toward my dad. 
No more bitterness toward my dad. It was just gone. You want to talk magic. It was just like, what? And it and now when I dream about my father, oh shoot, I had one. He used to wear these stupid wife beater t-shirts with the little ribs in them, you know. And my dad had a certain smell to him. Not a bad smell, but he just everybody has the smell. And he had a he used a certain kind of hairdressing and not dress, what do you call it when men? I don't use stuff in my hair, but he used a certain kind of cream or something. Okay. And and he used aftershave and everything. He wasn't woolly like me, he shaved and everything. So he had this particular smell. And the last dream I had about my dad, I, I hugged him and I smelled that smell. And I, and I just, I cried and I loved him. And it's like, that was beyond my control. The, I, couldn't, I couldn't make the bad feeling go away. And, and the good feeling that I have now, I'd had no control over that whatsoever. So in the really big things in life, tornadoes, Zach, Carol, my dad, all the big things in life, it's like we, have, we really don't have control. And so then what we do, that's why I, I kind of called this lesson or session, whatever you want to call it, I call it the myth of control. So s- since we realize we don't have control over these big things, we say, okay, I'm going to control something. So then we try to micromanage the little things, all the way from arranging our pencils in our little holder to our schedules, to our budgets, to our people, to our emotions, to our everything. We try to micromanage all these little things in life. Since I can't control the big things, I'll control the little things. We try to micromanage each other. We try to fix each other, correct each other, steer each other, manipulate each other. It's just, it's what we do. I know because I've, that's me, you know. I've been a raging control freak. Ask my darling wife. So we try to micromanage an infinite number of ways. And, and the first part of what I just said, you could put it like in a couple paragraphs on a page. <laughs> this one here, the way we try to micromanage life, you could write a whole encyclopedia, right? I mean, if we started going around, how do, how do we try to micromanage? The list would grow and grow and grow and grow because we've got to have this feeling of being in some sort of control. Well, at, at some point in recovery, you, you have to work the steps, and you get to the first step, and it says we admitted we were powerless. So really what we're saying is I suck at control. Give me a little bit, and I try to make it everything, and, and I blow it every time. So I suck at control, at least if you give me too much of it. I, I suck at it. I'm terrible at it so we just give up all control or we take on you know the Beatles let it be let it be which is not such a bad piece of advice but I mean take it to an extreme you just kind of become this passive bowl of jello you know that just kind of lets everything be I don't I don't think those really work sometimes some situations they need that some you know sometimes they do Okay, so I've talked to Robbie about this, and I talked to Joellen about this, and so they got to preview my heresy. So I'm going I'm to flirt with heresy here for a second. Is that okay? That's what we do in Pathway. So we've kind of been exploring. Uh, this is all going to tie together, I promise. But we've all been kind of exploring this whole thing that, that Jesus talks about at the last part of the Gospel of John about 
the paraclete, the one who comes alongside the Holy Spirit, the friend, the helper, the comforter, the counselor. And li the literal meaning of that word is the one who comes alongside. And so if you take that idea and explore it, you realize that it's God's offer to do life with us as a partner. Like a senior partner, the more experienced partner, but as a, as a partner. Okay, so here's the way I was brought up. I promise this all ties together in just a minute. This is the way I was raised. I don't know if this is the way you were raised, but I was raised under the teaching that if you're going to get right with God, I mean really right with God, if you're going to be the kind of Christian that everybody wants to be, then you absolutely and total, totally capitulate all your will to God. You give everything you know about yourself to God and just melt on the floor. Just capitulate. Give up all control of everything in your life. Just give it over to Him. And I want to ask two questions. Being Trying to be in control of everything, how's that working for you? Trying to give up all control, how's that working for you? I just Are you following me? And that's what I thought my options were forever. Either I'm in total control or God's in total control. What if neither of those are true or viable? Not even an option that we should try to do. Instead, what if the offer of partnership with the Holy Spirit is is the proper way to look at control is that control is not that we're not asked to capitulate we're asked to cooperate now think about that it's so interesting that you brought up the thing in the garden where jesus was not my will but yours in the trinity all three are all powerful all three have i'm assuming a will of their own but they always we have one God, three persons. I don't know how that works. It's never, I've punched in every calculator I know, and I can't get the math to work on that, but I believe it's true. But what's beautiful about our, tri our triune God is that with all this power, all this wisdom, all this capability, that they take this and they choose, no one tries to fight for control, and no one totally gives up control. Instead, it's shared. We cooperate together and share this control. And if I'm reading the Gospel of John, I, if I'm seeing what I think I see correctly, he is saying that Jesus came to offer us this kind of life here that the Trinity has in wherever it is, heaven, another realm, wherever it is, probably just right here. So that we have the offer, the potential. If I'm being heretical here, you report me, they can fire me. I don't care. But if we have the offer, the potential, to not completely capitulate, uh, rabbit trail on capitulate, okay? Why in the world would God create us and give us free will and then turn right around and say, give it all up? What makes you human is the fact that you have free will, that you can have desires, that you can choose, that you can, you, you know, that you can think this way. How do you like being human? Now quit being human. If you're going to get along with me, you have to give up. You have to surrender your humanity. It, it, to me, that does not make sense. So that's a little rabbit trail there. So we faced, where was I? <laughs> okay, so we, we've, we figured out that total capitulation 
Is it working? And and we've I th- I think I think we probably all wind up here at Pathway initially because we realize we suck at control, right? I mean that, that's why I came. I realized my life was a disaster with me trying to be in charge. That doesn't work. It just I can't do it. I'm not designed to do it. So what if what if we're being offered this heavenly type cooperation, this fellowship, this partnership? What if we're being offered this in the book of John, in the gospel of John? That's why I say I wrote that John's Jesus, but I think I need to write John's Jesus part two because there's, there's things I'm seeing there in the gospel of John now that I didn't see before. And part of it is this cooperation, this offer of cooperation that we have from God. I don't know enough about this to say much more. I really don't. And I'm not being cute. I really don't know much more. I, I really want to explore, and you help me. Help me think through this. I really want to explore what cooperating with God looks like as opposed to capitulating to God. I want to explore what that might look like. It's so new to me that I have, my mind hasn't even gone there yet. I'm still stuck in, no, you got to capitulate. you got to be a pile of gravy on the floor before God will even look at you. And, and, I've, and I've got uh, what, what uh, Karen was, we did not talk about what she was going to say, but it just seems to always be the host says the right thing. But uh, now I forget what you said. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> I was going to include what I was saying. Um, anyway, so, I mean, let's. Let's just think about, oh, yeah, you have to deconstruct. So I'm still kind of deconstructing. Oh, you mean I don't have to be a puddle of gravy on the floor? God's not calling me to be a, a nothing, a nobody before we can get along? That there's an alternative, there's something else? So I'm, I'm still kind of deconstructing that. But I, I would love for this new idea to be reconstructed because I can't be in control and I can't totally capitulate. Those have been have proven impossible for me to do. But I think if if given a chance and kind of talking about it among ourselves and figuring this out, I think we could I think we could actually discover how to live life in cooperation with God. Because that's what the garden was about. He just came and walked with him and, and there was no agenda of did you do your job? Did you, you know, I'm coming here to check up on you and make sure you're crossing all your T's and dot and all. He just he wanted to come and hang out with them and do life. He walked with them in the garden, you know? And I think that's when we get to the Holy Spirit, we're, we're going back to the garden. We're be, being invited back to the garden where we walk with God in, in tandem, arm in arm, elbow in elbow. We walk through life that way. I think it's, to me, it's fun to think about what are we going to discover here? If we collectively, if we let our minds go, what are we going to discover here about what life looks like in tandem with God? Not under his foot and not trying to tell him how to be God, but in tandem with God. What if, what if, what if, look at this metaphor. What if we, what if our car for life is one of those training cars where you have two sets of controls, not just one? Because we always say, oh, God's the pilot and I'm the co-pilot. Well, what if we both... Have a steering wheel and a gas pedal and a brake pedal and a, you know, and we actually learn, actually learn to drive in tandem with him, not opposing, 
not trying to take over and not taking our hands off the wheel, but saying, yes, we can do this together. Singing harmony, put it that way. Does that metaphor work? We're, we're actually, we're singing harmony. We're driving in harmony with him. See, as we explore, these things come to our mind. What would this look like? I mean, this opens up a whole, it's no, it's no accident that Jesus would talk about in John, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If we're living life that way, we are free. We are free. That is freedom. That is joy. That is peace. Because we're doing it with God. Not under Him and not trying to be over Him, but with Him. I think that makes all the difference. I'm getting all worked up about this. I like this idea. We'll have to pursue this. Let's, will you promise and think about this with me? And, and you know, if you, if you come up with some ideas, let me know. Because I, I want to chase this rabbit and see where it goes. Because I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty good. Let's, let's talk to Jesus. Jesus, you're here with us. And you're just a booger. You're so sneaky the way you keep bringing us along. And, and through your spirit, you're inviting us into new truth, new discussions, uh, a new just adventures in faith and in, in uh, generosity and, and, and all the good stuff. And so we want to, we want to, st we want to stay in the car with you and, and drive with you and see where this goes. Cause uh, we don't know, but we have a hunch you do. So we want to stay in the car with you and, and uh, have a good time and maybe do some good, maybe do some good in the world as we do this. So we'll talk to you later. Here you go, Karen.